kind of never sure anymore what media outlets are really legitimate and which ones are just spinning swill to sell advertising. It's kind of nice to know that there's publications that have emerged as kind of that, oh, different way of looking at our America uh, going forward. You know, I, I love um, sites like Vox. I like The Atlantic. And these are wonderful online publications that really, I think, tap into some of the unseen but some of the most influential issues in our country. And, and they do it without getting too, too political. And I, I, I really love that because, you know, once we get political, then we take it personally. Then, we, then it's personal. Now, it's, now we're looking at something from a, a different perspective uh, it's, it's, it, it's productive. You know, I like to, to look at, when I talk about urbanist issues, I like to look at things productively. I like to say, okay, what's the problem? What's the real root of this issue? And how do we solve it? Or what's something that we didn't see as a manifestation of the last 15 or 20 years that if we look back and put the pieces together, the data together, we can see what, uh, you know, how, how those, those, that data has affected a certain outcome in our country. And, you know, of course, there's always a political piece to this, and, and people will spin it politically. But, um, you know, there's ways of, of, of stepping around these topics. Um, and I, I think The Atlantic and Vox and, you know, many other publications really do a nice job of, of, of doing that, of highlighting that. Of course, they do get into political issues as well. But this, this, there's a great example of what I'm talking about here. Uh, on the Atlantic, there's a, a story by Joe Pinsker, um, written on June uh, June 11th this year, and it talks about a study being done in Europe uh, by it's it's a piece of postgraduate work, and it's talking about uh, median home sizes, and it's really interesting. The median home size in 1973 in this country. Uh, it was just over 1,500 square feet. That's 1973. Now it's uh, 2,500 square feet. 2,500 square feet. Since 1973, home sizes have gone up 1,000 feet. They've almost doubled. Oddly enough, <laughs> the family size has gotten smaller. To, to, to give you an estimate, he goes on to say that uh, each newly built house in 1973, each person had 507 square foot feet per re It was basically 507 square feet per residence. Every person in a household, on the average, had 507 square feet. Your average house and your average family. Now, that's 971 square feet. Almost double. Each person in a house now has almost doubled the space they used to as our housing sizes have increased and our family sizes have decreased. That's shocking. That's one of those, that's one of those numbers that kind of makes you ask questions. Why are you looking for that much square footage? Why is that much square footage being built? Why are we being sold on that much square footage? And really what the, what the study goes on to talk about is the fact that while in general, people rate happier in larger houses, that is very much negated if you are in a large house and then other larger houses are built around you. 
suddenly that level that level of happiness falls off the table and it kind of talks about it goes on to talk about how our happiness as far as the size of our home is relative to the other homes around us so if if we you know if a person uh, has a uh, you know has a, a home uh, and it's it's on the bigger side, and then suddenly bigger houses are built around them. Suddenly, that person will not rate as happy and and satisfied as, with their home as they used to. And it makes sense, right? This is this is American nature. If you if you see somebody with a uh, with a toy or a, or a piece of clothing or something like that, you know maybe you want that too. Maybe you want the next best thing. Maybe you want to be the first person that gets that tech gadget. <clears throat> maybe you want to try that. Uh, that new outfit, uh, the new trend, uh, the new, um, the the new fall fashion. I don't know. <clears throat> it's human nature, right? To envy a little bit, and to make purchases based on that envy. But when you really step back and look at it that simply, talking about the fact that home homes have almost doubled in size, but families have significantly decreased in size. That doesn't make sense, does it? I'm an apartment guy. My wife and I live in an apartment kind of on the on the border of a first ring suburb and, and the city of Rochester. We love it here. Uh, we're a stone's throw into the city and uh, and yet it's it's quiet. You know, I my I, I've said this before, my wife grew up uh, in the country, she likes a little more quiet, I like a little more hustle and bustle of downtown. So we you know, for us it's the best of both worlds. And we're very much city people. We 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 like what the city brings. We, we like what the city has. We like being close to everything. And that's one thing. We're so close to everything, which is awesome. You know, so for me, I don't need that much space. For both of us, we don't need that much space. Now, you know, truth be told, we're, we're not planning on having a family. We're not planning on having children. But for us, we just don't need that much space. And there are days, yeah, where we sit here and go, oh, you know, it'd be nice to have another place to store, you know, some extra stuff or whatever. But we know that as soon as we get more space, we're just going to fill it with more stuff that we probably don't need. You know, that's the, that's the whole thing, right? The, the Marie Kondo thing, the, you know, if you, you know, go through your stuff and throw it all out if you, if you don't use it and, and, and be brutal about it. And it'll bring you happiness or contentment or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's true. We really don't need as much space as we take up. But when you think about it, that plays into our cities, right? That plays into into everything that we've kind of built in our American infrastructure. You know, bigger roads, <laughs> roads that are so big we, we don't we don't really need uh, you know roads to be as as wide as they are, as many lanes as they are. Most of them, I would say, fifty to seventy five percent of roads are tremendously overbuilt. How do we get away from that? Can we change culture? Can we make people believe that they don't need as much space as they think they do? And I'm talking, you know, in the home. I'm talking on the road. In a car. Can we, can we tell people, you know what? It's time to get back to the 1,500 square foot house or living in the smaller apartment amongst other dwellers. It's time to get away from one person in a 4,000-pound car and get back to riding the bus or riding a train or biking. 
Can we tell people that you don't need six lanes? Let's take it down to two and a turning lane. No, I don't think you can. Let me rephrase that. <clears throat> I think the mindsets that we have to change in getting people back to a sustainable kind of urban perspective. And when I say urban, I mean centralized living. I don't necessarily mean skyscrapers. I, I, can, I can't say this enough. I mean centralized living. Get people back to the idea of living close to each other and close to resources and jobs. So that we're not just abusing this overbuilt uh, road system, pipes, water, uh, power infrastructure, things like that. Okay, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, when I talk about urbanism, I talk about living centrally. So how do we, how do we, how do we change people's minds? I don't think you can change people's minds that, already, that are already adults right now. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. This is going to be a generational change. I was just having a conversation with somebody about this, and they were saying, how do we, you know, we've got to change people's minds now about, about bikes on the road and how people treat them and, and everything like that. And it was, a, you know, it was a good conversation, and he's absolutely right. We, we do have, have to change people's uh, perspectives on, on people cycling in the road um, because people are dying. People are getting hit. People are, uh, you know, drivers are hitting people, and they don't, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, they don't, they don't, there's, there's a study that came out that showed that a lot of drivers don't see cyclists as human. So that's a, that, yeah, that's a mindset that we need to change. But to be perfectly honest, I don't think, and this is, you know, my bachelor's in psychology and, and sociology coming through. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can change that mindset with the generation that exists, with the generations that exist now. I think this has to be a generational change. I'm talking about generational evolution of how we live, of how we see uh, where we live, how we see how we move about our communities. We're not going to change a whole lot of minds in the here and now. We can change some, and we should try. But this is generational. This is going to be one of those things where we have to find ways to impact the next generation and help them realize. And I, listen, I think they're already realizing it. I think the next generation's coming. I think people think that, you know, oh, kids these days, blah, blah, blah. And look, they've said that about every generation. But I think these kids are going to change the world. I think they have to. I think they realize they have to or there's not going to be a generation behind them. So I think that we have to continue to put the message out there for sustainable living, for sustainably sized homes. The idea that maybe we can end the, the dominance of the single family home. The idea that we can uh, shorten up our, 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 our road infrastructure and that we can narrow our roads and actually put down stuff that people want to be amongst uh, in place of the space that roads and parking lots used to take up. Those ideas are extreme to the people that are alive now, let's be frank. They really are. They don't have to be for generations to follow us. And the idea is if we keep putting it out there, if we keep putting that message out there, if we keep putting material out there, if we keep growing that message, we're going to influence the next generation. And that's the key. And then they're going to influence the generation behind them, and they're going to influence the generation behind them. 
This is not going to happen in a matter of years. This is going to happen in a matter of decades. This is going to happen... Uh, it's going to take time to counter a hundred years of basically American prioritized and subsidized growth structure that's unsustainable. Think about that stat again. In 1973... The average person in a home had 507 square square feet. So for every person, there was 500 square feet of home. Now that's doubled. Are we any happier? Are we any happier with that much space as human beings, as Americans? Are we any happier? It's the one question you have to ask yourself. I'm going to close with an interesting follow-up to that. I remember I had a friend, um, oh God, 10, 15 years ago. And she came from a, a family where the, her, her parents had divorced. And she said something really, really interesting. She said, you know, we used to live, when we were a happy family, we were in this little home together. We didn't have much money. We were in this little house. And she said, you know, then, you know, my parents worked hard and, and they got to the point where they could afford a much bigger home. So they moved farther out into the suburbs, away from everything, and they got a home that was about twice the size, twice the square footage. And she said, you know, it was funny because back in their old home, she said, you know, we, we were kind of forced to be around each other. We had to, we had to work through problems and issues and, and you know, and, and we had, we, we, were, we were together. A lot as a family. We were together on the couch watching TV. We had one TV. We had one space to watch TV. Or we had one space to eat dinner. We had one space to, to play or to do work. And she said, you know, then we moved to this big house and kind of everyone came home, just went to their own separate rooms. They went to their own separate places. And she said, that's when, that's when our family started to struggle. And that always stuck with me. And when I read this article, I thought immediately of this friend. I think we, we have to look at that. As we've sprawled away from our common centers to homogenous suburbs, you know, as we've moved away from each other uh, physically, as we've moved our homes away from each other, our jobs, and, and tried to isolate every variable that we possibly can, uh, you know, putting fences around our, our properties and, and things like that. We've also done it within our homes. We've sprawled within our homes. That's crazy, right? What does that say about us? Do we want that bad? Do we want that badly to, to, to get away from one another, even the people we love? It's something to think about. And this might sound like it goes beyond urbanism. This might sound like it goes beyond the concepts of, of city life. But this is exactly what I talk about. It's getting back to the things and priorities that are important and recognizing that we're better when we're surrounded by other people, even though it might be sometimes more difficult. It's, it's always more difficult to be around more people. But you know what? We are fundamentally happier people, and this has been studied again and again. We are happier people when we feel like we're a part of a community. <clears throat> Suicide rates are, are extraordinarily low in New York City. You know where they're high? Places like Montana and Wyoming. 
places with, you know, tr- almost no density, <laughs> population density. And the idea is that people find and feel meaning when they feel like they're a part of a larger picture, when they p- feel that they're connected to a society and a community, when they feel like they're a gear in a, in, in a, in a much bigger machine. In rural America, people don't feel that. They, there's, there's a feeling of isolation and, and, and disconnection. Now, I'm not saying that everyone feels this way. I'm not saying that everyone living in rural communities are, are, are going to be more unhappy. This is, a, this is a, a general average. This is one measure of, of happiness given a certain area. Okay, But it does tell a story. And we can kind of... You know, we, we, can, we can take information from this. We can make an inference based on, on this information. This is one of the most commonly study, uh, taught uh, dynamics in, in sociology. So it's like a sociology 101 thing. <clears throat> you know, in general, we are social creatures. And, and we need each other. But our, the way we build our communities, the way we build... Uh, out and, and the way we sprawl, the way we build our roads so that we can get away from each other, the way we build our homes so that we can isolate each other, and the distance we, we move apart from each other within our homes now we're, we're finding. That doesn't make us happier. That doesn't make better humans. It doesn't make a better community. It doesn't make a, a more sustainable environment. It continues to divide us. Really, that's the core of, of urbanism. That's what we talk about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Hit me back on email, social media, whatever. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you have a great day. Take care. Hey, everybody. Our next episode will play in about 35 seconds, but got to pay the bills. Listen to this ad coming up. This is how we get paid.